Jonathan Edwards once said, and at the end of the world, when the church of Christ shall be settled in its last and most complete and its eternal state, and all common gifts such as convictions and illuminations and all miraculous gifts shall be eternally at an end, then shall divine love not fail, but shall be brought to its most glorious perfection in every individual member of the ransomed church above. Then in every heart, that love which now seems as but a spark shall be kindled to a bright and glowing flame, and every ransomed soul shall be, as it were, in a blaze of divine and holy love, and shall grow and remain in this glorious perfection and blessedness through all eternity. And so when we behold his perfection, that we know him and rejoice in him, and in that glory, we will be made glorious one day, so we sing. Who else commands all the host of heaven? Who else can make every king bow down? Who else can whisper and darkness trembles? Only a holy God. What other beauty demands such praises? What other splendor outshines the sun? What other majesty rules with justice? Only a holy God. Come and behold him, the one and the only. Cry out, sing holy, forever a holy God. Join us in singing.
standing in honor of the Holy God and His Holy Word. Please find Acts chapter 11 in your Bibles. Acts chapter 11. The only perfect part of our worship is God and His Word, and so we open up our Bibles and hear God speak. I'll be reading Acts chapter 11, verses 19 to 26. This is God's Word. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And when he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad. And he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for a whole year they met with the church and taught a great number of people. And in Antioch the disciples were first called Christians. Please be seated. As we go to a time of prayer now, I want you to remember that we commit ourselves together to the Lord and give ourselves to Him and commit everything we have back to Him, including our tithes and offerings, as we give cheerfully. Also, we're going to be praying for Brittany Livesey, who serves in the El Medina area of Orange. And we pray now, uh, going to the Lord uh, in prayer. Lord Almighty, we come to you today as a people in desperate need of your grace. Lord, we need to acknowledge who you are, that you might refocus us upon eternal truths. Lord, you are holy. You are righteous. You are good, merciful, gracious, kind, loving, just, sovereign. Lord, you orchestrate all things, 
according to your providence. You, you know the end from the beginning. Everything is in your hands. In you, everything holds together. You hold all things together by the word of your power. Lord, you are in control of this world. We are not. So all praise and honor and glory is due to you, not to us. Not to us, Lord, but to your name be glory. And Lord, we come to you today, most holy God, as people who have had their feet soiled by the dirt of this world. Our hearts have dabbled in too many trivial things, too many harmful sins. And Lord, we are in desperate need of your forgiveness and your cleansing. We confess, Lord, that we have judged others, that we have grieved your spirit, we have gossiped, we have gone after false gods, we have agreed with sin, and we have given hearty approval. We have condemned the innocent. We have forgotten to acknowledge you or go to your word. Lord, our hearts are are factories that manufacture idols of our own imaginations, and we come to you now, Lord, asking you to free us and deliver us and purify our hearts and minds that we might once again praise your glorious name. We need you, Lord. We need you like we need air and water. We need you, Lord, to, to lead us to repentance, that we would admit and forsake our sins, and that you would renew our minds and hearts by your spirit through your word and forgive us our many sins as we confess them to you. Thank you, Lord, that as we confess our sins, you are faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thank you, Lord, that there is forgiveness in you abundant mercy, all by your sovereign will. And Lord, you are the giver of every good and perfect gift. You are the giver of life. You are the giver of eternal life. And we thank you, Lord, that we have seen over and over again magnificent displays of your grace in our lives, in other lives, even this week. And we have seen you do many miracles. We have seen you deliver us so many times. We have seen you turn hearts toward you, that you have opened up many hearts to the gospel. And Lord, we just want to say thank you for everything. Your blessing in our lives so that we would be a blessing to others. And Lord, we we know we are conscience bound to obey your word. So please give us the strength we need to serve you with a whole heart. Make us cheerfully generous with our time and our talents and our treasure. That we would offer back in worship what you graciously give us. That we would love you. That we would love your church. We would love your bride, your your body, your family, that we would cherish the church and love and help and serve your people. And Lord, I pray that your word would have its desired effect upon our hearts and lives today. We would trust your, your will, that you have given us your perfect word and you would use it to do your work. We pray, Lord, that Chris would handle it accurately, deliver it clearly, that by your spirit and through your word we would be changed, that we would see your glory in the word and your glory in our lives. We pray that you would bless, bless Brittany Livesey as she serves in the El Medina neighborhoods here in Orange. We thank you, Lord, for the many people she has uh, been working with and the teams and the many hearts and lives that have been blessed through the teams that go out weekly. We pray, Lord, that we would see your glory in the gospel and your word in the church and to the ends of the earth. And even as you save whom you will save and show mercy on whom you will have mercy, I pray, Lord, that you would use us in the process, that we would speak the words of this life in your strength, for your glory, that we'd hold forth the word of life in a needy, wandering world, that as our hearts are cleansed by your word and grace and not by any work that we could do, that our hearts would be fixed on you, your attributes, who you are, what you do, and our sins confessed and repented and forsaken and forgiven, that we would be free to engage in the work that you give us to do, even to the ends of the earth. 
I pray, Lord, that you would bless your servants on many fields, everyone who is risking their life for the sake of your name, that we would see your glory to the nations, and your glory in the heavens, your glory on earth in the church. We pray all of this, Lord, in your magnificent name, Jesus, because of who you are and because of what you do. Amen. stand once more and join us in singing a new song this morning. It's called Let the Nations Be Glad. We invite you to join us when you get the song. Sing May the Glory.
your suffering you saw to the other side knowing this was our salvation Jesus for our sake you died Lord, we look forward to the day when you'll be praised forever, the King of kings, all glory and honor and majesty and dominion and authority is yours. And you promised in Isaiah that someday you will um, avenge yourself on your enemies. You will purify your people um, to make them like gold and we'll be in the faithful city, the righteous city. Until that day, make us uh, convicted by your word and obedient to and in love with you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Seated, please. Good morning. I'm Chris Anderson, and uh, I was here just over a year ago. I had the privilege of preaching, and uh, we studied the Samaritan woman together from John 4. Today we're going to be in uh, the book of Acts, starting in Acts chapter 4. Uh, Mike and I uh, had the privilege of going through the doctor of ministry program together at the Master's Seminary. 
And um, I enjoyed much of what I gained, but probably the, the biggest takeaway I got was a friendship with your pastor. And uh, we're so like-minded. Uh, we're actually, our, our life circumstances so similar. I have four grown daughters. Let's bow for prayer, actually. No, I'm just joking. Um, I have four grown daughters. It's the best. I'm spoiled rotten. Um, Mike has a son. I didn't get one of those, but the boys are coming now. Uh, my oldest daughter's married. My third daughter gets married in October. That means I have two left. So if you're between ages of like 20 and 26 and you want to give me a resume, let me know. Uh, and I'd be glad to talk to you about that. Uh, but your pastor has been a blessing and your church is a blessing. Uh, when I'm here, I think, man, I would love to be a member of this church. Uh, you have a church that is vibrant, that is, uh, that is evangelistic and missions-minded and rooted in the scriptures. You have a great pastoral team, all of them. Uh, you're just really blessed. It would be a long commute from Atlanta, but uh, appreciate what God's doing here, and I pray that that will just continue. Well, we're in Acts chapter 4, and we're going to uh, be studying one of my favorite characters from Scripture. Uh, my favorite character from the New Testament is Jesus, so don't worry about that, but my second favorite is the person we're talking about today. I want to begin by way of introduction to uh, break some news to you. You are ordinary. Uh, you're probably not exceptional. You can look to your left and to your right. If either of them seems above average, you might be below average. <laughs> uh, we're ordinary people. Uh, we're not superstars. You know, um, the history of the church, there have been men like Martin Luther, John Calvin. There have been ladies like Elizabeth Elliot, Corey Tinboom. We're not those people. Uh, we're not famous. We're not uniquely gifted. Uh, we're all pretty ordinary. You know, they're, even in modern times, uh, there's no John Piper here, there's no John MacArthur, there's only one Mike Shera. I mean, you can't, can't aspire to be that guy. Uh, most of us are average. Uh, in fact, your, your uh, church has a podcast called Ordinary Church. Most of us are ordinary. That's not a bad thing. Um, the character I'm talking about today is relatively ordinary. You know, you have these luminaries through the scriptures. You have Moses and, and David and Elijah. You have the hall of faith in Hebrews 11. The New Testament, you have Peter and James and John, and of course the apostle Paul. And the guy I'm talking about is, is none of those guys and, and probably doesn't have their gifts. It's just a good guy. Uh, he's just a positive influence on other people. He never got to write a book of the Bible. Uh, there is a book that has his name, but it's fake. Um, he, he didn't even get to preach a sermon that was recorded for us in the book of Acts. Um, I, I don't think he had exceptional gifts. Now, in fairness, he was at one point called an apostle. So, so he, had, he had big influence, but his primary influence was on ministering to other people. He is the one who is going to kind of disciple uh, Paul when Paul was a new believer. He is the one who's going to plant the church in the city of Antioch that would actually become kind of the, the, the focus of New Testament Christianity, kind of moved from Jerusalem uh, a couple hundred miles north to Antioch on the edge of the Mediterranean there in Syria. And he is going to kind of reclaim and mentor a young man that had blown it, but, but he didn't see that as the final chapter. The man I'm talking to you about is Barnabas. Uh, someone has well said that, you know, in your house you might have some impressive light like a chandelier 
but in the middle of the night, what you really need is either a backhaul light or a night light or something. Barnabas is kind of a night light. It's not, not one of the big shots, uh, but God used him in such a tremendous way. And I want to encourage you today. I mean, already your church is such a blessing, but wouldn't you love to be the kind of person that in, instead of focusing on yourself and your own agenda and, and your own kind of, you know, your your own sense of rivalry trying to get ahead, wouldn't you love to be somebody that's just known to be an encourager, uh, known to be uh, an energizer? Barnabas is that guy. We meet him for the first time in Jerusalem. If you're using uh, the outline sermon notes, we're studying Barnabas in Jerusalem. And I'm going to call him here a model of generous courage. Uh, the first time we meet him, he's not doing anything spectacular. He's, he's not a leader in the church. He's not even going to be appointed one of the seven deacons. He's just a church member, but we read about him in Acts chapter 4. So Acts 4.32 is where we'll start reading, and we're going to be uh, looking at several passages through the book of Acts today as we study Barnabas together. Now, the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him were his own, but they had everything in common. Okay? It was not communism. It wasn't enforced but it was community where those who had shared with those who didn't. So we read in verse 33, with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to each as they had need. We read some of that at the end of Acts 2. We read it again in Acts 4 and then we have an example. Thus Joseph, who was also called Barnabas, uh, called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him, and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. It's kind of an unimpressive way that we meet him, but, but it reflects on his character. Here we see his generosity. Apparently Barnabas is fairly wealthy. Uh, he owns property. We're going to talk about his sister. She owned a large house. Seems to be a man of means, but he sells what he has. He brings it to the apostles, no strings attached, just says, hey, I have more than I need and use this to help those who don't have anything. And, and we see his generosity. And in the, in the process, we also learn that his, his given name was Joseph. But as the apostles got to know him, they said, you know, Joseph just doesn't fit you. It doesn't describe you well enough. We're going to call you Barnabas, uh, Barney for short. Uh, some versions say, I just made that up. Um, we're going to call you Barnabas, which means a son of encouragement. Uh, the word encouragement is, is paraclete. And uh, paraclete, I, I don't usually use uh, Greek in a sermon because I'll mess it up and you won't remember it anyway. But a paraclete, that's the name given to the Holy Spirit. He's the, the comforter. It's actually the name of Jesus uh, when he is our defender in 1 John 2, it literally means somebody who comes along beside. So you picture somebody's limping and struggling, and and an encourager comes along beside them and, and kind of, hey, let me help you out. Lean on me. I have a great example of that uh, from the sports world. There's many examples of that in sports, but I'm thinking of a Hall of Fame basketball player who played for the Philadelphia 76ers named Maurice Cheeks. Anybody familiar with Maurice Cheeks? Uh, he won a championship with Dr. J back in the day. But the event I'm talking about, he was retired as a player. He was coaching the Portland Trailblazers. And uh, they had a playoff game, big game. And as usual, they're going to do the national anthem right before the game. 
a 13-year-old got up to sing. No music, just her voice. She had won a competition. So everybody's focused on this girl. Probably 15,000 people watching. And you could tell right away she was crazy nervous, you know, kind of shaking and, oh, say, can you see by the dawn's early light what's so... uh?" And she just blanked. And the whole stadium is just looking kind of like, well, this is awkward, but what are you going to do? How are you going to help? And then Mo Cheeks walks from the sideline, and he just comes out to, to where she was standing midcourt. And he, he's a huge guy, but he puts his arm around her, and he just starts singing. He's a terrible singer, by the way. <laughs> but he's just, you know, what so proudly we hailed at the... And then he messed up the word, said like, at the highlights, last gleaming. But, you know, but he was helping her. And she joined in, faltering, kind of sang along. He got her through it, and by the end, the entire uh, building is singing, and then they erupt in applause, and then, and then he went on to coach the game. But it was a great moment. Somebody is struggling, and instead of just watching and saying, like, oh, she should have prepared, you know, I can't believe it, she's blowing it, he said, let, let me help you out. Barnabas was that guy. He was, he was a positive person. He was, he was generous. He was an encourager. Uh, he was an energizer. Have you ever talked to somebody, and they just, you walk away, you're like, man, I just feel better. That person was such a blessing. I feel like I just had an energy drink spiritually. Like, that was great. And there's also people that you talk to, and they just kind of suck the life out of you. Uh, You know that scene from uh, Princess Bride where I just sucked a year of your life? There's people that, as you're talking, you're like, man, you're you're exhausting me. And uh, I don't mean to be unkind that way, but you want to be a Barnabas. You want to be somebody that encourages, that that uplifts, that, that blesses people. I was speaking at a camp, and uh, the guy in charge of the camp said, listen, there's, there's somebody here, and just kind of an eccentric, and he'll talk to you all weekend. He'll, you know, he, he doesn't take cues, and then you're not going to be able to minister to other people or spend time with your family, so just you, you might have to be pretty direct with the guy. And uh, after a message, he's talking to me, and it was fine, but my family needed to go. I have four daughters. They had an activity coming up. So as they're talking, you know, I kind of got out my keys and just like, wow, that's really fascinating. I'm, I'm going to have to run. And uh, actually, I need to walk my girls back to our room. He says, no problem. I'll walk with you. Perfect. So he walks back to the room with me. He just keeps going. And uh, the girl's going to change, but he's still talking to me in the hallway. I lean on the door frame, And because they were going to change, my wife slammed the door and crushed my fingers. I just about blacked out. Finally, you know, tears in my eyes, I said, I've got to go. And I, I got away. So I sit down, and my wife brings me Advil, ice from my fingers. She says, Chris, I'm so sorry. I'm like, baby, that was so worth it. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. You know, if there's ever a moment where I put my hand in a door and nod, you just let me have it. Well, I don't mean to be unkind, but there are people that just, they sap energy. And there's Christians who just are kind of negative, you know, complaining. Or instead of focusing on kingdom, they're focused on, you know, their, their strong opinions on politics and COVID and vaccination and just, you know, everything else. They're agitators. And Barnabas was just a guy who's like, you know what, let, let me do what I can to just uplift your spirit. Let me, let me be somebody who comes along and encourages. He's generous, good guy, encourager. But he has more substantial ministry as well. Look at chapter 9. Acts 9, we have moved ahead, and Saul, who had been a persecutor of the church, actually he was like a missionary persecutor in the sense that 
he didn't only persecute like Stephen and others in Jerusalem, but he got letters to go to other cities. He wanted to reach the unreached as a persecutor. And then God would take all of that energy and change it when he became born again and use that as a, as a preacher. But he'd been saved by this miraculous appearance of the Lord. He comes to Jerusalem and he tries to meet with the church. So Peter, James, John, whoever's there, he's wanting to meet with them and they're like, nah, um, this sounds fishy to me. You know, the guy who's been, been killing Christians, arresting Christians, persecuting Christians, not, now he wants to come to prayer meeting. You know, call me skeptical. And they wouldn't receive him. Read with me in Acts 9.26. And when he, that is Saul, had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples, and they were all afraid of him. For they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas... Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him, how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord, and it goes on. He'll have to run away to escape persecution again. But Barnabas is the guy who comes to, to the apostolic leaders. He's not a deacon. He doesn't have an office. He's a Christian, but he's an encourager. He comes alongside somebody who's kind of out of it, somebody who's a downcast. And now he comes and he brings Saul of Tarsus and he says, guys, you know, we, we believe the gospel changes people. It doesn't only forgive us, but it, it changes us. We've experienced that in our lives. And Saul is saying that he came to know Christ and, and now he's preaching. And you, you need to give him a chance. He put himself on the line. Not only his reputation, he actually could have put his life on the line. But he stood up for, for Saul and said, hey, let's believe this guy. And of course, Saul is going to turn the world upside down with the power of the gospel. But Barnabas was the guy who kind of gave him his first vote of confidence. So I say he's courageous. He's a model of courageous generosity. Uh, he's a nice guy, but he's not, he's not weak. You know, he's positive, but he's bold. Alexander White, who... Uh, does a lot of writing of, uh, he did, did a lot of biographies when he preached in the 1800s, and he has a book of biographies of Bible characters, and he says about Barnabas, if the only thing he had ever done was to give a vote of confidence to Saul of Tarsus, we would owe him just eternal gratitude. You know, God used him. He's an ordinary guy, and as we'll see, he really didn't have Paul's gifts. Eventually, Paul would outshine him, but he's fine with that. He wasn't trying to be famous. He wasn't trying to be a big shot. He just, hey, God's hand is on this guy's life. We need to give him a chance. Guys, give him a chance. And wow, the world changed. Well, let's move from Jerusalem to Antioch, Acts chapter 11. Barnabas in Antioch, I have him as a model of contagious discipleship. We already read the passage that described the planting of the church at Antioch. I love this. So, the gospel is supposed to go, Acts 1.8 is supposed to go Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. But the church gets stuck in Jerusalem. I mean, they have apostles as pastors. It's, you know, it's a, it's a mega church. Everybody's happy. Let's just stay here. And they're not moving out. Christians are always in danger of cloistering instead of deploying. And we talked yesterday at the mission conference you know, the church isn't just collecting people, it's training people and then unleashing, launching them. 
be ready. I, I think your church uh, it has sent missionaries, but I think you're on the cusp of sending bunches of them. I pray so. I, I prayed yesterday, Lord of the harvest, send forth laborers from this building, from this church. And uh, this work is going on, but, but initially they were stuck in Jerusalem. So um, we have this, the martyrdom of Stephen, uh, and then Acts 8.1 says that because of the martyrdom of Stephen that, that Saul had been in charge of, the disciples were scattered, but as they were scattered, they kept preaching the word. It would have been a natural time to say, listen, we had to leave home because we're Christians. Let's be Christians kind of underground now. But no, everywhere they went, they kept preaching Jesus. And the gospel is expanding, specifically Acts 8, 1 through 4 says it's expanding, expanding to Jerusalem and uh, Judea so, so, uh, and Samaria. So, so we're on point. The, the plan is working. Then we pick up the story in Acts 11. And again, it tells us all of this is happening because of persecution. So Acts eleven nineteen. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch. That's Antioch in Syria. It's on the east side of the Mediterranean. They were preaching, but they were only preaching to other Jews. So they're walking through town, and this is, a, this is kind of a cosmopolitan town, a melting pot, and they're, they're passing all these people looking for other Jews, and finally some unnamed laymen, some, some heroes, anonymous, but they said, you know what, how about this? How about we just talk about Jesus to everybody? Let's talk to Gentiles. Let's talk to idolaters, to pagans. Let's just tell, tell Jesus to anybody who will listen. So they give the gospel to these Greeks, and, and it says the hand of the Lord was with them. Of course the hand of the Lord was with them. They were finally on mission doing what Jesus had commanded them to do. So the hand of the Lord was with them. Uh, verse 21, a great number believed and turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. Hey, guys, there's a bunch of former pagans who have believed in Jesus. We need a church planter. We need a disciple maker. We need a mentor. Who shall we send and the answer wasn't one of the luminaries. The answer is, you know who's a great guy for this? You know, you know who's free from prejudice and rivalry is Barnabas. I think Barnabas would do a great job. Let's send Barnabas. So Barnabas now gets a chance not only to give and, and to give an encouraging word, but now he kind of gets a chance to pastor. And he's going to disciple them. We read of his character that he's a good man. Specifically, he's a good man because he was full of the Holy Spirit and he was full of faith, that, that kind of gospel-rooted optimism that says, hey, God can change people's lives, let's watch it happen. So he goes and pastors them, and in it, he, he's a realist. You know, he's a positive person, but he's a realist and says, guys, you're going to have to continue with steadfastness. Christianity is not going to be easy for you. Uh, what is it, verse, is it verse uh, 27? I lost my place where he speaks to them and urges them. No, verse 20, uh, 23. He came and saw the grace of the Lord. He was glad. He exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. I'm so happy you're saved. All right, buckle up, because not everybody's going to be happy about this. Uh, all of your family's not going to love that you left paganism or left their religion. You're going to have to be steadfast. 
But he's teaching them, he's teaching them the word. <laughs> the church is growing so much that he needs help. Barnabas needs a youth pastor. And who does he get to be his assistant pastor? Saul of Tarsus. He says, Saul, God's working here. I want you to come and help me. And they minister together for a year, not long, but for a year intensely. They're teaching the word. And then we read the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. So these people are learning to be like Christ. They're called little Christs. You know, these are the Jesus people. And all of that happened under the influence of Barnabas. For the sake of time, I, I won't read the last few verses, but uh, verses 27 through 30 of Acts 11, uh, there's going to be a famine all over the world. And the church at Antioch collects offerings and they send it back to Jerusalem. Uh, and they send it with Paul and Barnabas. That, that's a very Barnabas-like thing to do. The first time we met Barnabas, he's giving to the needs of those who have less than him. And now the entire church is doing that. The church kind of gets this trickle down. They become like their pastor. As a pastor, that was terrifying. But, but they took his generosity of spirit and, and they all adopted it, send money back. It's a pastor. He's a disciple maker. The church at Antioch would become an absolute powerhouse. Now we jump ahead to Acts 13. I can't do this justice at all, but quickly we're going to talk about Paul or Barnabas with Paul. And here he is a model of audacious outreach. I could also say just a model of humility. Barnabas with Paul. Now, They've been pastoring together at Antioch, but now they're going to go out on the first missionary journey. Remember, the church doesn't just collect people, it sends people. We read about that in Acts 13. So join me in Acts 13. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, we know him, Simeon, who is called Niger, this is an African, uh, I preach in Atlanta, and uh, for nine years I pastored there, and very, very diverse and uh, our community's diverse, and you know, I, I, I'm trying to be careful. I said, so Simeon, from Acts 13, Simeon was an African-American, which is ridiculous. You know, this is 2,000 years ago, and uh, 1,776 years before America was founded. Uh, no, he was just an African-African. Uh, so, but I, I love this because the church at Antioch was as diverse as the community. In fact, the leadership was as diverse as the community. So here you have this black man named Simeon, and then you have another African named Lucius of Cyrene. Then you have Manaean, a lifelong friend, and it, it's kind of vague. It could actually mean that he's kind of the extended family of Herod the Tetrarch. You know, Herod's always the bad guy. In the Gospels, in Acts, um, there's a number of Herods that, that follow each other, but they're always evil. But within the household of Herod, there was this guy named Manaean. He's from the upper echelon of of culture. The, the church wasn't only ethnically diverse, it was socioeconomically diverse. And this guy came to Christ, and they're all leaders along with Paul. And of course, there we're going to have the Holy Spirit saying, separate to me, Paul and Barnabas, to the work that I've called them. And the church is going to pray over them and send them out on the first missionary journey. They're going to go to Cyprus, and then they're going to go to Asia Minor. It's actually a fairly short trip where they're going to go preach the gospel at Pisidian Antioch, which is different. And then they go up into Iconium, Derby, Lystra, their church planting. Uh, missions basically is you're, you're evangelizing, you are disciple-making, you're church planting, 
and your training leaders. All of that has to happen, and it happened on this first journey. They evangelize, they disciple, they strengthen the churches, they appoint leaders. That, that's the downfall of a lot of missions is, you know, there might be evangelism, but there's not a church that stays. In, in Acts, where the gospel goes, a church stays. And then where the gospel goes and a church stays, leaders are developed so that they're not dependent on Paul, so they're not dependent on Barnabas. So they're planting all these churches, training leaders. God is doing this great work, and it's not without struggle. You know, they're, they're going to preach, and when they come to Lystra, Paul is preaching, and uh, the pagans actually turn on him, and Paul is stoned and left for dead. Barnabas is so not a luminary that he wasn't even worth stoning. So uh, they stone Paul, Barnabas helps him out, they come back on the journey, and, and you can read more about that, this, more than I can say here, but the gospel is going out primarily to a Gentile audience, that southern region of Galatia. Now Acts 15, they're going to go back to Jerusalem, and there are Judaizers, these are legalists, these are gospel twisters. They said, hey, all these Gentiles, all these former pagans are coming to know Jesus. That's good. However, don't you think we should make the men get circumcised? Don't you think they should have to obey some dietary laws and observe Jewish customs and days? I mean, let's just put it this way. In order to become a Christian, shouldn't they have to become a Jew first? And Paul and Barnabas go in Acts 15 and they stand up for these Gentile Christians and they say, guys, you're, you're wrong about this. You know, the gospel is free. It's, it's by grace. The same Jesus that saved us saved them. They don't have to become Jewish to become Christian. That's legalism that actually perverts the gospel. And they, they defended the gospel and they defended these kind of browbeaten Christians. They were courageous. Now, full disclosure, Galatians 2 says, that Peter kind of got sucked into the hypocrisy of the Jews on this. And even Barnabas had a bad moment. And even Barnabas for a while was like, you know what, let's, let's just, maybe, maybe you guys should act more like Jews just to avoid making people mad. And Paul corrected them. You know, so Barnabas wasn't perfect, but he's a good man. He's part of this audacious outreach. The two of them were a killer team. They were so good. Now, early in Acts 13, we have Barnabas and Paul, and then there's just this subtle shift. Every time you read after that, it's Paul and Barnabas. Paul became kind of the lead. And Barnabas is free of rivalry. He's okay with that. God's working, and he's happy with that. Well, there's, there's more that we could discuss there, but let's jump to the last point, and that is Barnabas with John Mark. Here he is a model of tenacious grace. Tenacious, unrelenting. You know John Mark? Are you familiar with this guy? John Mark was a young man. He's actually Barnabas' nephew. And uh, he's born with a silver spoon in his mouth. And I, and I mean that both financially and spiritually. Financially, his mom, Mary, is so wealthy. I think it's Acts 12, 12. But there's a prayer meeting in Jerusalem happening at, happening at her house. And so it must have been a large house. And do you remember when Peter was in prison, but he gets miraculously delivered? He comes, knocks at the house where there's prayer meeting, and Rhoda answers and thinks he's a ghost, and it's kind of comical. Okay, that is John Mark's mom. So he has Uncle Barnabas. His mom is a leader. We don't know anything about his dad. 
but the church is meeting in his house. And Peter writes in 1 Peter 5, what is it, 1 Peter 5, um, 13? He writes that, um, that John Mark was his son in the faith. So John Mark was led to the Lord by Peter. He was an eyewitness of Jesus. And actually, um, only one gospel records it, but when Jesus was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane, there was a young man who had wrapped himself in a cloak and was kind of following and watching. Uh, probably wasn't supposed to be there, snuck out. He's watching what's happening. When Jesus was arrested, the disciples fled. A soldier grabbed this young man's cloak and he ran away naked. Probably John Mark. Okay, so, so he has all of this privilege, all of this opportunity. And when Paul and Barnabas went on the first missionary journey, they took John Mark with them. Look at Acts 13. I read where they were being sent out. Look with me at verse 4, Acts 13, 4. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia. From there they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of the Lord in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John to assist them. It's confusing. Sometimes he's John Mark, sometimes he's John, sometimes he's Mark. I think he was John Mark when his mother was angry. It's usually how it works. But this is John Mark. So he gets to go on the first missionary journey. He's being mentored by Paul and Barnabas. That, that is a good gig. Things started well for him, but it didn't take long for him to crater. John Mark is going to blow it in a pretty spectacular way. Look at verse 13, Acts 13, 13. Now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga. So they're coming down to Asia Minor in Pamphylia. And John left them and returned to Jerusalem. We don't know why. You know, maybe he missed his mom. Maybe he expected the mission trip to be glamorous, and it wasn't. It was work. There was, there was opposition. Maybe he's jealous that Uncle Barney is kind of taking a back seat to Paul. Maybe it's just too, too much work. Whatever reason, he left, and he said, well, that doesn't sound like a big deal. No, it was. He had committed to something, and, and he abandoned them. And here's how big a deal it was. Three or four years later, after his failure... Paul and Barnabas have defended the Gentile church in Acts 15 at the Jerusalem Council. And then we read Acts 15.36. Acts 15.36, this dynamic duo, this dream team of Paul and Barnabas, you know, they're doing so much good together, now let's go do some more. So Paul's going to say, uh, after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark. That's the most Barnabas thing ever. Hey, you know the guy who blew it? I think we should give him another chance. Yeah, I, I know it was a bad scene, but failure need not be final. God changes people. The gospel works on people. I want to take him with me. But Paul, verse 38 but Paul thought not best to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. That's, that's kind of the best description we have of why he left. He didn't go with them to the work. So Barnabas says, I want to take him. I think he's got a bright future. He blew it, but he was young. Let's give him another chance. And Paul says, man, this is not a game. You know, souls are at stake. Our lives are at stake. 
you know, what, what's that saying? You fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. I'm, I'm done with this guy. I'm not taking him. Barnabas says, Paul, I feel so strongly about this. If he doesn't go, I don't go. And Paul says, well, that's fine. He's not going. And it's actually a very sad portion of Scripture. Verse 39, there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other and the, the team was broken. It would never be put back together. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. Paul chose Silas. He's sent out with the blessing of the church. And, and the book of Acts is going to follow Paul, not Barnabas. Wow, sad. Now, in God's sovereignty, he uses even our failures, our frailties. And, and instead of one team, now there's two teams. The gospel went on, but it's still sad. And, and John Mark was the root cause. So he left the work of ministry, and then he was, he was the one who brought a division between this super missionary team, Paul and Barnabas. He blew it. Now, in this scenario, who was right, Paul or Barnabas? It's kind of a dicey question. You know, we can't be certain. But I have an opinion. Who thinks Paul was right? Anybody on Team Paul? Of course not. We have a sermon on Barnabas, and you know it has to be Barnabas, right? I tend to think Barnabas was right on this one. And I, I wonder if in the discussion he's like, you know, Barnabas, I once knew a guy that nobody would trust, and I went to bat for him. Uh, do you remember that? Uh, do you remember how I kind of stood up for you when nobody wanted to give you a chance? And, and look what God did. I wonder if he, if he brought that up. It, like Paul does in the book of Philemon, he says, I won't mention to you that you owe me your life. I always read that and think, I, I think you just mentioned it, actually. Uh, Barnabas, Barnabas uh, I think, was correct. And the reasons are, for the rest of his ministry, Paul would surround himself with younger men. First with Silas, but, but he started to be kind of a Barnabas. He started to be more of a mentor. Paul is going to write 2 Timothy 2.2. Hey, Timothy... What you've heard from me to commit to faithful men, they'll teach others also. You know, there's a domino effect. You need to be mentoring people. Don't, you don't want to be a hero, you want to be a coach. And he's mentoring people to get ministry done. Uh, you have all this record. Who are, who are some of the people that Paul would, would kind of mentor over the next 30 years? There's Silas, there's Luke, Timothy, Titus, Aristarchus. You know, th there's a bunch of them. And there's actually a list of them at the beginning of Acts 20. All these churches from Asia Minor sent uh, people to shadow Paul and learn ministry from him. I, I, think, I think Barnabas actually rubbed off on Paul. And Paul began kind of crotchety, but eventually he kind of became a mentor. And when you're working with younger people, they might frustrate you at times, but, but they're the future and Paul's going to invest in them. But it, it's more than just kind of, you know, my, my, my gut that Barnabas was right on this, because we're going to hear from John Mark again. Look at Colossians chapter 4. Colossians chapter 4, we have Paul in prison. He's writing to the church at Colossae, Colossians 4.10. Colossians 4.10, Paul says, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom 
You have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And then he goes on to talk about some other people. This is about 12 years after John Mark's failure. 12 years later, Paul's in prison with Aristarchus. They're both prisoners. John Mark's there, but he's not a prisoner. Okay, he's free to go. In fact, uh, church at Colossae, he might come see you. And if he does, I want you to welcome him. I already told you that. Why does Paul even need to say that? Because John Mark has a bad reputation. You know, he's, he's not trustworthy. He's not reliable. But 12 years later, Paul says, listen, John Mark is with me. He, he came to prison to help me, to encourage me. He came to prison to, to Barnabas me. And I'm sending him to you, and you might be inclined to not trust this guy. I'm telling you, trust this guy. You receive him. You welcome him. And Paul doesn't say like a mea culpa, like, you know, I was wrong 12 years ago, or things have changed. He just says, God's worked his life, and you need to welcome this guy. He gives him a vote of confidence. Apparently, the work of Barnabas, more importantly, the work of the gospel, the work of the Holy Spirit, had been so active in John Mark's life that he's reclaimed from an embarrassing failure and, and now is going to be useful. In fact, the last time he's mentioned in Scripture is in 2 Timothy 4. 2 Timothy 4 is Paul's last chapter that he would write. He's in prison again, but this time he's, he's getting ready for martyrdom. He's, he's saying, you know, I'm about to be offered, I'm about to die. He's by himself. He mentored so many people, but he said, when I first stood for my defense, nobody stood with me. All men forsook me. And I pray that God won't blame them for it, but, but I was all by myself. So, so Paul is alone. It's a low time. And he writes to Timothy, probably his, his closest mentor, uh, his closest disciple, his son in the faith. He writes to him in 2 Timothy 4, 11. Well, verse 9. He says, hey, Timothy, do your best to come to me soon. I'm alone. I want to see you. But then jump to verse 11. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. I love that. So the Apostle Paul, as he's nearing his death, he says, I want to see you, Timothy, and I want to see one other guy. Get John Mark. And in my last hours, I want to see that guy again. He is useful. King James says he is profitable to me for the ministry. This is 20 years after his failure. And we're, we're looking at the grace of God. But we're also looking at, at the tenacity of a Barnabas who sees somebody fall and doesn't just you know, kind of shake their head and say, well, you know, it happens. He blew it. Barnabas says, that guy fell. Let, let me help him up. Proverbs 24, 16 says, a righteous man falls seven times and rises up again. Grace Church of Orange, what would it be like if this church was just full of Barnabases? A church filled with Barnabai, that's the plural. A, a church of encouragers, of mentors, of coaches. A, a church of positive people who take a chance on somebody. And, and when somebody fails, they, they help them back up and they say, man, God's not done with you. Failure doesn't have to be final. It was the work of God that reclaimed John Mark, but, but he used Barnabas. Again, he never wrote a book of the Bible. We don't have any of his sermons. His best work was done through the people he coached. Paul, Church at Antioch, John Mark. 
Church history says John Mark went to Alexandria, Egypt, and planted a church. Alexandria would become kind of the hub of Christian activity in, in northern Africa for centuries. He also wrote a book. You've heard of it. The Gospel According to Mark. So, so the guy that Barnabas discipled actually gets the privilege of writing a book of Scripture, and then church history says that John Mark died heroically as a martyr under the emperor Nero. And it, again, God gets glory, but he used Barnabas. I love Barnabas. I love how God uses average people like us. There are times when I'm praying, and I'll just say, God, you have me, and you're not getting much, but you have me, and, and could you use me? God uses ordinary people, just average people like us. So yeah, you, you don't have the gifts of Paul. There's no Spurgeons out here. But if you're a humble, good, a, a spirit-filled, a faith-filled person, you, you can be an encourager, and, and God could shift the world through Christians like that. Now, obviously, the hero of every story is not Barnabas or Paul. The, the hero is Christ, the Savior, the one who changes, the one who forgives, the one who transforms and reclaims us. So I, I point you to Christ. You, you don't need to run to Barnabas. You need to run to Jesus. But you do have a pretty good human example. Anybody can be a Barnabas. Anybody can be that kind of uplifting, encouraging, restoring person. And for the John Marks in here, failure is not final. You know, God is so merciful. He forgives. His blood cleanses you from all sin. Don't give up. You continue. And, and then when the time comes, you look for another John Mark that needs a word of encouragement, a hand of assistance. And let's be a church of Barnabas. Amen. Thank you, Lord, for your word. It's power. It's beauty. Lord, our ultimate example is Jesus. But it's really encouraging to have some human examples as well. Thank you for how you used Barnabas and Paul and John Mark. You're not getting much. We're all average, but you have us. Would you use us as well? And we'll be jealous that the glory goes to you alone. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand and join as we close by singing grace and peace? Atonement you bring 
sinner's heart can be cleansed, can be free. No, oh, what an amazing mystery. What an amazing mystery that your grace has come to me. Let's songs of gratefulness. Let songs of gratefulness ever rise, never cease. Loved by God and called as a saint, my heart is satisfied in the riches of Christ. And oh, what an amazing! Your grace has come to me. And oh, what an amazing love I see. What an amazing love I see. That your grace has come to me. And oh, what an amazing love I see. I see that your grace has come to me. And oh, what an amazing mystery. What an amazing mystery that your grace has come to me. Thank you, Chris, for encouraging us from the Word today. I love my friends, and I love this church, and I love the fact that we can open up the Word and hear solid teaching from, from uh, gifted expositors. Uh, a couple things before we go. Um, as I mentioned at the beginning of the service, uh, we've had a wonderful missions weekend already. We had the missions conference yesterday uh, featuring Luke Womack, Ed Trenner, and Chris Anderson. And then Chris is preaching, uh, but there's more, and there's more to come. So uh, Jenna Weisenberger, who's a full-time missionary in Jordan, uh, just shared in the NPR second hour, but she'll also be third hour over there, so you won't want to miss her there. Um, but after third hour, we're going to have a lunch, and then we're going to hear from uh, Jenna from Jordan, but also all of our short-term missionaries uh, this summer, those that went out, Ellie and Matthew and Hannah Radmilovich, Aidan Van Eck, Hannah Ulibari, um, and then Chris is going to share about biblical ministries worldwide that he serves with. So um, stay after church and uh, be blessed even more and be inspired uh, to go with the gospel. Uh, Chris also has brought some books. I think they're out on the book table, so make sure you uh, look for some of those. You get some really great resources. So to, to close, uh, Romans 11 uh, verses 33 to 36. Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Sovereign in the mountain air, sovereign.
ocean floor. 